Hello, welcome back to another episode of Forest Proximity. We're a husband and wife team that reads romance books and watches romance movies. I'm Jonathan, and with me is my wife, Megan. This week, we have a special guest and friend of the show, Petra Orloff, our resident historical expert. And we are covering Lisa Kleypas's Wallflower series autumn installment, It Happened One Autumn. Now, before we get on to our episode with Petra, we are asking you once again for five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, or just give us an upvote on whatever you listen to us on. If you have any questions, you can write it in the review section of Apple Podcasts or DM us on Instagram at Forest Proximity Podcast. And with that, let's get to the episode. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. I'd like to very to introduce our very special recurring guest, our resident historical romance expert, Petra Orla. Petra, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, what you've been working on lately? Yes, I am I'm writing my own historical romance, actually. So it takes place in uh, France in 1860. And um, the main characters are, are a Russian and an American. And of course, 1860 marks the beginning of the uh, civil unrest here in the United States. So the Civil War figures in greatly as well, but how it plays out in Europe rather than uh, the United States. And there's that sort of uh, push and pull across the Atlantic. So there's there's loyalties in both countries. And I think it makes for, for a good backdrop for, for a romantic story. Yeah. Um, there's so much complexity that you just like... You you just like bounced on the lily pad of the pond and then underneath the surface of the water is just a wealth of stuff you can pull from. So I'm really excited about, I'm really, really excited about your project and reading it and yeah. Um, And I, I think it's really great that, you know, I don't know, I really love nuance and I really love like moral ambiguity. So when people just automatically dismiss anything because it's not right or it's not, you know, how things are done now, I like that you're going, you're probably going to introduce, you know, the idea that, I don't know, that whoever was on the side of the South in Europe had totally different reasons for being, like for supporting them. And I, I mean, I would imagine. Like oh, most certainly. More, yeah, most more certainly. economically driven. Yeah. Absolutely. It does become an economic war um, in yeah. Europe. It really does. Uh, the Any sort of politics about slavery um, were completely left out of the conversation. It wasn't something that that, that was even really talked about, you know, was just, yeah. it was just glossed over. So, um, yeah, it does become an economic war. And, um, you know, uh, one that could you know, either side could benefit the great nations of Europe um, in different ways. So uh, to say that they were torn is is not saying a lot. Um, and most of them just stayed neutral and impartial because they had no idea how it was going to, how it was going to play out. And they didn't want to affect their chances either way. That is why you are, are, 
historian in residence <laughs> because you understand that these issues are so complicated. And I like that you, with your own writing, you bring these really interesting facets to life. And I want to see how they play out in a lot of the historical romances that we read for the podcast. Like, do others, do other authors do the same thing? And um, I mean, just for the sake that yours is set in France and it has, you know, this multi, um, uh, not ethnicity, but like multinational cast. And I, I feel like it's, it's not like just another Regency British uh, historical that you're writing. Thank so you. I think that's, I think that's really cool. I, 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 whenever I read a, whenever I start an English book, I think, and I really wish this was set somewhere else because how many <laughs> times the Regency was what, like nine years long. How many books can you set in the Regency? Seriously. Right. I mean, it is, well, I mean, it's a very romantic period for many people, you know, and I and, guess, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I appreciate it. Maybe it's because of Jane Austen. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe just, just her, you know, being such a prolific, I shouldn't say prolific, but, but rather such a great, great and popular author. Um, you know, maybe she just influenced so many people to, to stay in that, that, that time period and, and romanticize it. Um, and then of course, you know, people like the Victorian period too, but you don't, I, I do like the Victorian period. And I do too, for many of the, the reasons that we discussed the last time I was on for mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the <clears throat> industrial, um, you know, uh, things that were happening and, and not just the industrial revolution, but all of the, all of the innovative, um, inventions and, and things that were coming to the fore, I think figures very well for, for romance, you know, in many mm -hmm. different ways. But, you know, I, I, I do believe that people have a certain fascination with the Regency. They have a certain fascination with, um, you know, the Victorian era that they don't have, you know, for other eras in history. I, I think that um, the book that I just recommended to you, uh, mm -hmm. The Mistress of the Eagles, mm -hmm. which takes place, um, gosh, I, I mean, when it was just sort of feudal Ireland, Right. Um, and you don't get a lot of romance set in that time period either. Um, you don't get a lot of romance set in colonial America. Um, yeah. You know, but you do get a lot set during the Victorian era out west. Right. That push mm -hmm. out to the frontier. Um, so, the, you know, there there are eras that are romanced a little bit differently. Um, I'm thinking right now that Poldark was. A, a fabulous, fabulous sort of, you know, um, I wouldn't call it just necessarily a romance, but a historical fiction that, that, you know, obviously started at the, the American revolution and then took itself back to England and, and sort of had its end in the Regency period. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, it, it spans, you know, a period of time that isn't, that isn't romanticized as much as others. So you, you get a few good ones, but definitely um, American writers generally stick to the Regency or the Victorian in historicals. I like the Victorian era, but I don't necessarily think it needs to happen in England. 
right? Yes. So I like those years, but I, I, you know, I'd like to see more of the world in those years. Yes. I'm always, um, you know, we've talked offline about your, your book and I'm always like, I always struggle like what to call your time period since it's set in Paris. And I, I don't know, like, is it still appropriate to call it Victorian? I do. You know, it just, yeah, it situates it well for, for everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I can't really call it, you know, anything else because of the complexities of the civil war that come in, you know, so it, it, I I just Victorian and then they, everyone gets an idea of what's happening and, and that's it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about the book that we read this week. It happened one autumn. Yes. I love this book. Don't worry, I'm here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it You're happened. You're taking it all in. Yeah, I am. Yeah. It happened one autumn is the autumn installment of the Wallflower series, right? <laughs> like that, the autumn installment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From by Lisa Clavis. Well, what else is it? <laughs> Book two. I yeah. like the autumn installment better. I Me do too. too. It's more romantic. <laughs> yeah. Well, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> so this one features our hero Marcus. What Mark? What? Uh, Marcus Westcliff? Marsden, Earl of Westcliff. Yes. yes. I have some hot takes on Marcus. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. Megan I thought know, I was going to love we him. Talked, we talked a little bit about this. And I tried to save it for the podcast, but it's kind of juicy not to. So I do know. <laughs> I can't believe this. I thought you would love him, too. I, uh, yeah. I do not. What? <laughs> my God, I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm clutching my pearls. Well, for, uh, does Megan, do you want to run down what the book is about? Well, okay. It's an enemies to lovers about this funky American heiress who goes to husband hunt in. I mean, we know this from book one. She's already a one out, one of the wallflowers. She's part of this group of four women who, for whatever, for various reasons, they are either shunned or they just don't fit in well to the, you know, the taunt and the, you know, the. Um, Hence the name, the wallflowers. <laughs> The balls. Exactly. So for various reasons, they're all wallflowers, two American sisters, one um, just very shy, stuttering, like she's she's portrayed as like really like kind of insipid and stupid at first. That's not this book. That's not this book. That's going to be the next book. This book Um, is this book is Lillian Bowman, American heiress, brash like fighter girl <laughs> her her i loved yeah i um, loved her and then you have you know the the starchy um like super buttoned up uh has no sex drive until he <laughs> until he meets the one that turns it on like that kind of you know historical romance hero Mm-hmm. Um, very like, uh, he has, you know, he's very British. He has his, he lives for duty 
and honor. But he doesn't act very honorable in this. No, not at all. I think is where I think is where Jonathan's going with the the dislike for him. Um, So yeah, so (laughs) so they so they of course butt heads. They butted heads in the last book after he came across the women playing rounders and knickers. And of course, he forgot all the the three other women. He only remembers Lillian in her knickers. Um, And because of that, he just has an automatic hatred of Lillian. And he's talking to his sister at first, and he's like, oh, this girl's coming, and she's so horrible. I can't even describe how horrible she is, because she was in her knickers playing rounders. Um... (laughs) And that's like all he can remember. And his sister's like, well, was she pretty? Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, but that's beside the point. She's right. rude. And, <laughs> and then um, so I do love like when they the the re-meet cute, because they have met before. Yes. Um, but when they meet again. It's her playing rounders yet again because she just cannot get enough of baseball, essentially. Yep. Um, but she's playing it all wrong. So, of course, he's like, he hates her. <laughs> and so one minute it's, oh, my God, those awful Bowmans are coming. That Lillian likes to exercise and I hate her. And, oh, wait, <laughs> she's holding the bat all wrong. I've got to go correct it. So, of course, he has to wrap his arms yeah. around her. He had to go mansplain and... it. Yes, he did. He did. <laughs> In a very physical manner. And I think he even observes that she's uncorseted. And oh, he's like, yeah. She's uncorseted. I must. I must explain how to play this game. <laughs> I can see her nipples through her dress. Yep. Like, yep. As if that is possible somehow. Like eighteen, this is eighteen forties. Like well, this is like Charles Dickens Victorian. Mm-hmm. This is like how I see the forties. Like maybe you they, shouldn't be thinking clothes... about the dress and thinking about what her nipples were like. <laughs> but, <laughs> which but is like, the only possible. I mean, they're outstanding all the time in this book. And you can, like, they escape corsets. They're they just, do. Like, they're, they're everywhere. Autonomous. Yep. And they're not even on giant breasts either, which is I know. shocking to me. I yeah. How does how does a flat-chested woman, She's all you know, nipples. be all nipples all the time? <laughs> <laughs> So he just, you know, he's mesmerized by the idea of her nipples through this, you know, this dress. Even if it's the, you know, the height of summer, 1840s clothes, there were a lot of layers. And I'm sorry, but how do you get that dress closed without a corset? Like, mm, like even if she's not. I think she described it as a walking dress. So it would have been. But you'd still wear stays. Like, even if you're not tightly laced into them, like they're loose stays. I still don't think you can wear. I don't. I don't think historical fashion works without you know the proper undergarments. And okay, I'm not somebody who can walk around braless, so I don't know. Maybe it's like I don't know. I feel like she's so sporty. She would want to be like more, you know, tightly encased, <laughs> like because so she can then like oh you know like. I'm not wearing a bra. Like, 
like maybe I shouldn't play baseball with the boys because my like nipples will bounce around. (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like since she is so sporty, like she would be thinking about it and she would be using these, the stays as her like sports bra. I'm going to answer this question. Thank you. Because I am extremely sporty and athletic and I am considerably not endowed. And um, I, I like to, be compressed as tightly as possible. Okay, so it's not just like a big-breasted thing. Like nope. I didn't know if I was. No. Okay. No. It, it. This is my complaint with sports bras for small-chested women. It's like, yeah. oh, you get less support. I'm like, no, I want the same support. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and they're padded. Like here's your padded push-up right. sports bra. Right. It. It makes. And meanwhile, so- I think, where's my padded push-up sports bra? Like, <laughs> I want that, too. What do you think about this, Jonathan? Uh, I got nothing on this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of times in the basement, I don't even wear a shirt, so. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm deadlifting, I'm not wearing a shirt. What's the point? Right, right. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you on that. All right. So, initial so, reactions. To, are you are you wait, not wait, done? No, I'm not. I'm sorry. Not done recapping, but the rest of it, like that's sort of where the enemies part drops off, and the lust part kicks in for the for the like about eighty percent of the book. They're just you know super in lust, and then the end, and we'll talk about the end later. So it's it's enemies to lovers. The enemies part is not entirely there (laughs) it's one of those okay so we just did shipped and shipped is like okay it's enemies to lovers and and the henley the the heroine in that it's just she just is dead set against continuing to make graham her enemy but there are reasons behind every like every mm, deepening of that enemy's relationship for her this is something where i'm gonna write an enemies to lovers but wait why would they still be enemies after they kiss well okay we'll just make it really angsty and i don't know i feel like it could have used a little bit of external i don't know external events and i i don't know the external events come later, but I, I could have used a little more enemiesness, like right out of the gate, <laughs> I think. So anyway, yeah, let's let's continue. You're right. It wasn't as um, it wasn't as as like um, on the surface enemies to lovers. There, there wasn't a lot of feuding going on in, in this no. novel. It, it was more, you know. I, Not I think, giving in to the lust. Exactly. I, yeah. Exactly. I think they didn't want to give in to to the lust, and also they're recognize that they actually did have feelings for one another. Uh-huh. All right. So initial reactions. Did it hook you, or did it take some time to get into? I'll I'll start. Okay. Several times throughout the week, I told Megan this book feels like homework. Oh. <laughs> Like it was so hard to read. <laughs> That's and, really interesting because I thought you were gonna love it. Maybe because I'm on summer vacation. 
Like I actually still get that. So I don't think so. No. Because shipped, so. I was on some vacation. I love that book. Yeah. So uh, I just I just yeah. thought it was boring and there wasn't enough Marcus on the page. And then when he was, I was like, this guy's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I um I I was hooked immediately. I I enjoyed it. Um, I was surprised because I didn't think that I would enjoy Westcliff as much as I did. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, I, you know, I've been reading a lot more contemporary historical romance, contemporarily written historical romance. Yeah. And nobody writes a man like Lisa Kleypas. I, I, I don't know where she finds all these men. Like, where is she living that she she's that she's constantly she motivated, from. yeah, to write <laughs> such extremely hot men um with all the sort of right personality traits. But um, she certainly does, and I don't think a lot of authors pull it off like she does. and and i I was enamored. I was enamored with little Westcliff by the time, um, and she by the time Lillian set was it up to be that way. I'm trying to pull up um, a quote that I had I had saved, where um, like our first impressions of Westcliff that were supposed to be given, it is every every like whatever kind of romance hero you like, it it should be Westcliff according to. His character description, right? Um, and sorry, my Kindle is taking. A really I like long Simon time. Hunt a hundred times better. Marcus was a man who could break a horse, dance a quadrille, give a lecture on mathematical theory, bandage a wound, and fix a carriage wheel. Okay, there you go. Whatever type of hero you like, Marcus should be it. Yes, like <laughs> he can do everything. He is all of them. Yeah. And I love he that. Has, and he has the cruel father, check, like requirement for brooding hero. Yes. Um, <laughs> he's not, he's striking, he's not handsome. Check. Another you know requirement. What? It, 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 <laughs> he sounds like Superman, right? Yes. yes. And I've always had the problem with Superman's like, oh, nothing can beat Superman's like, well, what? Everyone mm. has a weakness. <laughs> well, his weakness is clearly Lillian. Yeah. Is that his kryptonite? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Fine. The silly, um, you know, bossy, brash, loud American. Well, yeah. she was a character I really liked. And obviously it's 100% because she's American. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. No, that's not true. Because you didn't, I don't think you're going to love Daisy as much. That's, no, I don't think you're so You're probably either. right. You're probably right. I think you like the... Like the brashness of her, she's—I mm -hmm. hate this term, but you know everybody uses it. She's ballsy. Well, I think she is. I'll, I'll get into something. I think this can fit in here. Like, I want to know. Back, really happened. According, Megan has explained to me. Like when we watch, um, Downtown Abbey, <laughs> Downtown Abbey, <laughs> Downtown Abbey. <laughs> yeah. I want to know who was in charge of marketing for the British elites. That they were able to con, what I say, they were able to con out um, wealthy American women, move over, marry them, take 
all of steal all of their wealth <laughs> and just just through the, like some bullshit patriarchy and, rules that they made yeah, up and tail it's like the eddie the eddie is your joke manner. no flag no country well i i think it, i think both sides are getting something the wealthy american women who come from families of new money which was shunned which was you know ostracized which which did not garner any sort of um place in society found themselves a place in society by marrying into these old established traditional families so whereas in america they would be disregarded you know by by the elite in europe in in great britain they were uh you know ladies of the manor and and had titles and were were right in the midst of the very best of society and of course their men whose um you know tenant farming practices were running their estates and all of their their uh you know uh economic security into the ground were getting all sorts of wealth from these these brides and their families so it served both sides uh very very well i mean look at uh you know the king who abdicated in mm-hmm. in a gesture for an american divorced you know american divorcee like he gave up his throne to to be with this woman so um you know I, I i do believe that both sides were getting exactly what they needed out of the deal and and that's why we have those sorts of relationships that's why this that's why this sort of thing happened why lillian bowman exists I and i think in in downtown and down downtown oh my god you're rubbing <laughs> off of in downtown abbey you see where it becomes a problem when the woman like when all of her money is then no longer her own. Well, and I think but I, then in America, I saw that it's not episode. really her own anyway. It that's true. Like unless you're an eccentric, and very very few people could get away with that. Um, you you couldn't just do whatever you wanted with your money. And women, it's not like they could like you know, you know, own businesses. Like I'm going to create this great startup. Like I'm gonna create a woman-owned perfume company. Like they, they couldn't do that. I, I, you know, I am guilty of of uh, judging these this era with my 2021 knowledge. Yeah, and you have a real disdain for like the aristocracy in general. I do. Like yeah. I was reading this book, and I was just my my inner Bernie Sanders was screaming. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I just see him in the midst of of the uh of the manor sitting in his little chair with his mittens. <laughs> <laughs> My Bernie oh. mittens. I um I, I, I know it's it is hard ha- it is hard to to wrap your mind around it you know, why any of this would have happened. But this is precisely why in my novel, my heroine is a widow. Um, Because it was only, that was one of the ways she could have all of this wealth and be independent, you know? So um, widows had a great amount of power. um, Yes. And both sides of the, uh, of the lake. If I keep picturing the Countess Olenska. 
Exactly. That's well. That's that's exactly who she was modeled after. <laughs> Although Countess Olenska, she had a pesky husband still, right? She was still yeah. married, but yeah, that's but, true. But it but it was like her. It, it could have been like her had she not been had she not been married. Because when I think of the Countess Olenska, I don't see her as married either. Yeah, because he was never there. No. Yeah, and because Daniel Day Lewis was the love interest in right life. i mean yeah. like who's going to be married after daniel day lewis falls in love with them they, the butcher with one eye yes <laughs> same guy <laughs> that was just a few uh, years later <laughs> oh we have to do the age of innocence now yeah. Oh, you do. God, I my there's so much that I've I want to say stolen, but I mean that was <laughs> such a beautiful, beautiful book and so heartbreaking. I I really tried to incorporate some of what I what I thought so memorable from that book in my own. I've and never read a, the book. I grew up on the uh, movie. I, I mean and... I for me it was both. The movie yeah. was expertly done. It was, yeah. it's just phenomenal. But that book, oh, it kills me. It kills me. Megan, did you say if it worked, if it, if it hooked you right away or not? Oh, it did. And I'll tell you why. I mean, that's the job anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it did. The, Next question. <laughs> <laughs> because of the prologue. And okay, so the prologue, I kept waiting. I've read this book before, by the way. Um, but it was like the beginning of my romance reading career, which was three years ago. Um, I didn't remember anything about it, but it started out when she's in this perfumery and then she's talking to her sister and it's like chitter chatter. And she's talking about like, she's describing her nose in a way that's, it's really expertly described. It's hard. It's hard for a character to to uh to talk about how good they are at something and have it come across that we like them for that yeah i think that is that takes expert writing when you're i mean because she's not bragging she's just and she's not like she's not humble bragging either she's just saying like it doesn't come across as like, you can't smell that. Well, I can smell the hay on people's skin. And, and I also, lo- okay, so I love, I love scent. So I'm going to love a perfume scene and, or a soap shop. And um, can, can we take a little sidebar? <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> because I will lose pe- my train of thought. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> number one. You know, we talk about, like, Jonathan, you and I talk about this all the time. Like, can you smell people? I would, that's the <laughs> sidebar. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I can't smell I was people. about to write that down. <laughs> and I want to. Like, I love scent. It's like, it's like my favorite scents. And I love, like, I don't know. I love the smell of gasoline. And I just want to, like, bask in it. I love a pine forest. Like there are certain things that I just like, I crave this, like I crave smelling something. And then, and I have such a, like a low sense of smell and it's so frustrating for me. It's like Hang being on. like, I don't know. Wait, 
yeah. you're not gonna say you asked me the question can you smell people without telling me telling people how you asked me that i'm getting to that i really am <laughs> so when when in inevitably in any romance novel when they talk about you know the scent of someone's skin and how they can take like they can uh recognize particular notes um like this is layered you know cedar is layered on top of uh i don't know diesel fuel or whatever it is like it can be ridiculous sometimes i'm like i want to smell that too and i can't i want to i do i i really want to like I want to detect notes of hay and thistle and willow sap and whatever it is like craziness that's like lurking on people's like in their skin bacteria. Like, I don't know what it is. That's, you know, maybe it is their cologne, but in this book, they actually say it's the cologne. Like it's not, well, I mean, it ends up being Lillian too, but it's, uh, I, I like that she's wearing perfume and Annabelle's wearing their perfume when Simon Hunt goes nuts over her, but he's always yeah. nuts over her. Um, but I really like that they mentioned like, Oh yeah, it's not that her skin smells like Amber because that would be a little bit ridiculous. It's that she's wearing an Amber fragrance. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there's that. Also, it reminded me of the Paris scenes in Outlander. With Master Raymond, who's one yes, of my favorite yes, characters. Yes. In that. I like, I love and the both scenes. I wonder if Lisa Klepus like wrote this after she had like read Dragonfly and Amber. Um, because it, it's just, you know, she's in this perfume shop talking about her nose and like how she can recognize all these scents. Like, how can you not? And then, you know, this like this little old man comes and he's mm-hmm. kind of mysterious. Right. And and he's like, well, can you smell this? Can you smell this? And the same way, like Master Raymond, like, you know, is this is guy who has something else. Like he has these like supernatural qualities. And I don't know. It's just a really quiet, beautiful moment. And I love it when an eccentric woman is paired with, you know, a stodgy old man that, who becomes her mentor. And I feel mm-hmm. like that that sort of was like, it was that trope light in this yeah, one scene. I agree. I liked it very much. So, yes, the book hooked me immediately because of the prologue. But then they didn't, like, it, like, that whole thing, like, barely came into play. I know. And I kind of, I was a little bit disappointed that just, it dropped off. The whole perfume thing, she she got her friends early in the book, in like the first quarter. She's like, everybody has to wear this perfume and see who they attract and see if they can get Westcliff because I think it's the perfume and not me. And then, like, you just never heard about it again. Yeah, I, I wondered about that too. And I, the first time I read it, I thought, God, there's this beautiful prologue. Yes. With the perfume. And then there was nothing about perfume. Yeah. No. And the other- then there was the secret ingredient. And he's like, and Marcus says, uh, yeah, I know what it is. And and finally, you do learn what it is. But I really, I thought that was going to get dropped too. Right. Um, right. But I, and I thought it was kind of lame that the secret ingredient was just her. Because I thought it just, it was sort of expressed poorly. I thought so too. 
it it didn't come across that way in the prologue at all. Yeah. It was much more magical. Yes. Yeah. And there was, and I, I thought this book would have sort of like magical <sighs> moments that hinted that, you know, if you, if you closed your eyes and lost yourself for a minute, it could be magic. And I thought that would be the theme. And I thought the prologue was setting up the theme of that. And not that there was real magic or anything like remotely supernatural in this, but I just, you know, those moments where like, it's, I don't, maybe it would have worked better in summer because I'm getting all these like midsummer night's dream sort of images right now. But, um, no, you're no. right about that. Just like where where everything's in reality, but because of the circumstances, it it could seem magical. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the characters would know that. Like I know this isn't magic, but it's really nice, and I just want it to feel like magic. Right. And I, Daisy Daisy says that I think at some point, and she is very she's disappointed when the a secret ingredient is not magic. Right. But, and they do, like, you know, they bookend the prologue with the epilogue. So at least we get to see, you know, the perfumer, the old man perfumer again. But, yeah. You know, the other day I was walking down the street and, um, and I smelled, um, I don't know if you guys know this cologne, Drakkar. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. My I grandfather smelled- wore that. What? Your grandfather? Yeah, yeah, oh, that is grandpa, hilarious. My grandpa Pete wore, no, Dracar Noir. Yep. So when I was in high school, it was either polo or Dracar is, is what, what the boys wore. And so I was walking down the street and this guy had on like just like just bathed in Dracar, right? <laughs> and he walked past me. There's nothing remarkable about this guy whatsoever, mm. not attractive in any any <laughs> way whatsoever. But I totally stopped which and I is, turned around and I stared at him. Well, yes, yeah, cologne. they they have to have something. And and let's just be honest, your car wasn't really even a great choice. But I stopped and I turned around and I watched him walk away. Like, because that scent just pulled me right back to, you know, slow dancing in, in junior high, you know, with so, like the first time you're slow dancing with a guy at the, the school dance or some shit. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it was, it was very interesting because then I remembered, I remembered that moment, obviously, like as I was preparing to speak today and I thought, Oh, all that, that stuff about scent. And there was that completely unremarkable, ugly fellow that I looked at for a long time. <laughs> just because. <laughs> ugly fellow i love that it's like his official term right but it's just because his smell reminded me of something that at one time was magical for me yeah Being in a you know a, a darkened gymnasium playing i don't know some some song and and dance slow dancing with a guy for the yeah. first time i don't know it was magical I have no magical memories when like associated with scent and love, but I have um, the scent of pine, like not just like a pine, like the, the bottom of a pine forest, like, uh, like tramping on pine needles. Yes. There's a place every time I, I smell like old pine needles. There's a, there's a garden, Jonathan, I've taken him there. It's this, 
it's a sculpture garden in Southern Maryland and it's a hidden gem. And I remember my dad taking me there like as soon as it was open and it felt like after that, it felt it was my place because it was nobody knew about it. And it was so cool. Now it's affiliated with the Smithsonian, but it used to be just like a place that was nobody knew about it. You could jog on the trails and see these like incredible sculptures and Um, fairy houses. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's so awesome. But there's a there's a place. It's a copse in the woods. And it's called the Loblolly after a, a species of pine, the Loblolly pine. But I spent so many like magical hours. I, I directed, um, I had a theater company in high school. And I directed Shakespeare. It was Shakespeare in the Park. Um, and it was like all the rehearsals were done outside in like the heat of summer. It was just so like a Midsummer Night's Dream. Like if you imagine Aww. putting on that production yep. in the middle of summer and like it was just a bunch of high schoolers because it was youth theater and like, uh, like, I don't know. It was just a bunch of friends like hanging out in the woods, like being artsy um like we didn't get up to any kind of like trouble but I always smell like a pine brings me back to the loblolly and that's one of my favorite scent memories that's a beautiful memory I don't think I described it well but no you did I um (laughs) I used to attend a fine arts camp and so we were often in the woods doing arty things yeah so you know Uh, yeah I I I'm smelling the smells (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what worked and what didn't work? I think I should lead off again. I I agree. All right. I'll start like my favorite scene in the book was actually the rounder scene. Oh, yeah. Because. uh, What did I write down here? (laughs) I I love that he he was using coaching cues. And Jonathan's pa- a PE course. teacher in case pa- you don't but Patron knows what I'm talking about because she's yeah. a she's a kettlebell coach. Yeah. And I've I've coached about just about every sport you could coach and strength mm-hmm. and conditioning. So cues are everything. So I really appreciated her writing in the cue. Like it wasn't what was the cue? He just said elbows. Yeah. Because that's where she elbows. was messing up. Her elbows yeah. kept yeah. dropping. So all he said was elbows and she picked them up. And like hit a home run or whatever it would be in rounders. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. And I did like too at the end of that scene where she's like, he's on the base, standing on the base, and she's like, I'm gonna yeah. fucking run right through you. <laughs> like she didn't even care. I loved, I loved that col- that literal collision between the yeah. two. I I liked that as well. It was and super li- cute. Yeah. I but, like that he just couldn't help himself but join the game. Right. And yeah. then try to beat her, too, because he's yes. Marcus. That's where I thought I was going <clears> to <throat> like Marcus. Yeah. I thought I was going to like this character. Yeah. I, I liked that she kept fighting him on his coaching. Yes. And then That's she the wasn't same way following. I'd fight you. Like, and Petra, you, yes. And Petra, you can also attest to this where you coach somebody. They don't do what you say, and they say, "See, it doesn't work." It's like you didn't fucking do what I told you to do. That's I why know. it didn't work. It's so annoying. It's the most <laughs> annoying thing. And yeah. then they do it. Like, well, it worked that time, but I don't. It's not always gonna work. Right. Right. <laughs> I 
I feel very seen in what you're saying, Jonathan. <laughs> I think I feel like you're talking about me and calling. No, me it's out. every. It's not every client because once in a while you get like a super coachable client that you say, "All right, put your head down and run through that wall," and they do it. Like, oh my god, this person can do anything I say. Great, right? That's rare. Yeah. Well, that was my <laughs> that was my last editing client. She was amazing, amazing. So I really liked that scene. But then what didn't work for me, aside from Simon Hunt, the male characters did not work for me. I mean, I guess St. Vincent worked because that's what he's supposed to be like. You have to divorce whether you like him from whether he's a good character. And he was. And he is a great character. So I, so Marcus, the hero. He was like my favorite part of this book. Yeah. St. Vincent? The introduction to St. Vincent. Oh, my God. Oh, I wrote down in my notes, St. Vincent sucks. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have that in my notes, too. He it, called the fact that you have it such a visceral reaction. St. Vincent. I said, <laughs> he called us the colonies. Again, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. I love that line. I do, too. <laughs> well, I mean, sore loser. There is a whole war and we beat you in it. So <laughs> it so, was like way before he was born. It was. It, <laughs> so he should be used to being the loser. Anyway. They still call us the colonies. Well, then they need to stop doing that. Um <laughs> Marcus ended up not working. Let's, for- let's normalize calling America not the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll I'll go into why he didn't work. Okay. St. Vincent is. Hot. No, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. I told him. Have you seen Zach and Miri, Petra? No. (laughs) So there's a character that's a gay porn star named. What's his name? Randy St. James. Yes. That's who St. Vincent reminded me of. But then, as you explained to me, no, he shouldn't remind you of that. He should remind no. you of someone different. Okay, he did He did change to Rob Lowe and St. Elmo's Fire. That's who oh. he reminded me of. I don't remember St. Elmo's Fire, but I can something maybe there. See. There's something there. Rob Lowe was yeah. attractive and, like, a dick. <laughs> yeah. Rob movie. Lowe lost me in Young Blood. You me know too. this, right? Yeah. yeah. So... Keanu Reeves did too, and then he yeah. saved himself. He um, did. <laughs> How many years later, though? Rob Lowe <laughs> saved himself too, though. Like when you yes. when you like get to a certain age, if you don't, yeah, I know exactly. If you don't, <laughs> um, if you don't like not revert, but if you don't switch over to comedy, you become kind of weird. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, the scene, I, I. I don't hope I don't ruin it for anyone, but when he when St. Vincent tries to have his way with uh Lillian but, and Marcus Marcus gets to come save the day. Yeah. It's like, well, he uh, doesn't Marcus? try to have his way with her. Well because he's actually being pretty honorable. He yeah, but there's there's a lot St. of rape Vincent. talk going on in that scene. Yeah. But it's like uh Marcus like... already raped you. Sorry. You were drunk. He wasn't. He raped you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an issue. <laughs> the, 
I, I have to say I did not like that scene either, and not because I didn't think she gave consent. I just thought, Jesus, she's sloppy drunk. That, how know. is that attractive? I don't know. <laughs> and it, uh, Ma- Megan and I talked about it. It's one thing if we're both drunk and we both made a bad decision or a good decision. Yeah. yeah. But he was totally not drunk. Right. Right. So I had a problem with that. She needed his help. She really just needed to sober up and yeah. sleep well, I, it off. The way that I read that scene, it, it, when he, when they do start to to become physical, there yeah. is something in the description which indicates that she came to her senses. Yes. That she was no longer drunk. And, but still, I don't understand. I, I can't stand sloppy drunk women. How can men stand sloppy drunk women? I don't women? know. I don't know she's, how that's attractive for anybody. Well, she's also super hungover in the morning, which I think like you can pretend to sober up yeah. and you can, you know, like if you're, you know, back in the day when we all drove drunk, like, and that Uber wasn't a thing and people just, you know, did what they had to do to get home from the bar too in your 20s like in your bad decision making years like if you get pulled over you can you know you can pretend to be sober right 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 and I feel like that's what she was trying to do because like the next morning it's like she had you know she was really hung over and then she was starting to regret her decision Mm -hmm. and I thought just not not an (laughs) honorable moment for our hero he, right. It's when he should have said, I don't care if you're telling me this, you're going to bed and I'll see you tomorrow. Exactly. And yeah. And the sloppiness too. Like, I agree with you, Petra. Like who wants that? Like, is that the Lillian you want at that point? Right. I mean, she's sitting on the floor of the library. She has a <laughs> drunken entire bottle of peach liqueur and it's sitting in front of her. Right. It was peach. Yeah. Right. And, hair. um, hair. Oh, pear. I'm sorry. Yes, pear. Yeah. And she's, she's like, her legs are spread out, like, to either side of her, like a like a child playing with a toy, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like muttering nonsense, holding this bottle of liquor. Like, I don't understand how someone walks in that room and is like, oh, what a beautiful, amazing woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a sloppy drunk child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I, I think in his mind, he, he definitely wasn't, it was written carefully, like that he wasn't, he didn't think he was taking advantage of her. He no. was, he just, that was the point where he couldn't help himself anymore. So that, that definitely speaks to the sloppiness. Like, mm, okay, that's uh, the point. That's the point of no return for you. Like, right, right. Again. 2021 2021 standards marcus earl of westcliff is canceled (laughs) (laughs) yeah he would have been canceled um i i just i have to say that as a woman i read that with that whole scene i i thought there was consent and i didn't see i didn't see him as being completely dishonorable i just thought it was gross yes i i I, I thought it was a gross love scene yeah well, I and I guess I have to look at it from, you know, the perspective of someone who could get canceled. Exactly. Um, <laughs> well, we can all get canceled. 
You you turn around and no, you get her to bed and then you leave. That's it. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't want something fifteen years down the road coming up that was questionable. Yeah. But this when did she write this book? The this... early two thousands, I think. Yeah, I don't know I'm... how much of putting girls to bed and leaving there was in the early 2000s. 2005. Yeah. I mean, yeah, none of that no, was there, discussion. There was. There was. I, 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 I had that discussion in high school with people. Mm. You know? Um, and and I, remember, I remember quite clearly in college walking through a party and seeing a woman from my dorm sitting in a, on a bed with completely wasted mm. with three guys. And I just walked into the room and I took her hand and I said, come on. She didn't refuse because she was so drunk. But I just recognized immediately like, ugh, this is not good. Yeah. Not a good scene. So, I mean, I, there was awareness. Um, well, that was you. That wasn't the guys. No, but there, <laughs> there was awareness. There will always that. be those guys. Even I don't yeah, care the, what, what year it is. Yeah, you're right. Guy. You're right. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I thought that though it might've been thinly veiled, I thought consent was given. I agree. Um, what I agree disturbed me more than the drunkenness and perhaps I'm moving ahead in the conversation and I apologize, yeah, but there were so many times in this book, what completely grossed me out was when Marcus treated her like a little girl. When he would pull her, he pulled her onto his lap and gently massaged her back in circles as it to calm her down. And, you know, and I was just like, it was so disgusting. There's so many times he was, he was lightly touching her, pulling her onto his lap so she wasn't scared and holding. And it was just like such a father-child description. In, in a completely wrong context. And that does that happens in many of Claybaugh's books. Um, mm. not just this one. Um, not in all of them, but in many of them, the women are are treated like like female children and attended to physically as female children, which which completely grosses me out. Yeah. And that that was was more to, and that happens like maybe four or five times in here. And I was looking as we sat down for these specific examples, um, but I was unable to, I, I didn't get a chance to copy down all my notes. So uh, I wasn't able to find it, but it's something that is a reoccurring theme in her books. Um, and again, though, these books are so tightly, I want to say choreographed, you know, the, the, the formula is so tight from both Avon and the author themselves, that it's not a mistake that it's in there. Mm. There's again, something that readers desire in that particular scenario. It's just, I, I have no need for it. You know? Yeah. I read that as, um, I don't know. I, I guess I read that as a fault in myself. Like I internalize it. Like I should want that. Oh no! <laughs> so I read that. I didn't realize it was like wrong. Oh, I think um, it's completely wrong. <laughs> I I get so disgusted when men 
in, you know, my life have tried to treat me like a female child and, and not, not in taking care of somebody that's different, right? You can take care of an adult, but, but the whole, oh, you know, like, you know, let me hold your hand and let me, you know, let me rub your back or let me in, but it's not even like nice rubbing of the back. It's like something like, it's like patting a child or it's just disgusting. It's disgusting. I guess I don't read that as like father child, because to me, when I read that, I think of that as like purely sexual, but I do think it's a way of like subduing or like not even subduing, but like, I think it's a, it's a control mechanism. Yeah, and maybe. You, well, that's why I'm maybe reading it as yeah. as parental, because I don't yeah. see it sexual at all. Maybe because it's not sexual for me. Like I don't need, I, I don't need to sit on some guy's lap while he fucking rubs my tummy because I have a stomach ache. <laughs> you know, like it, it's. Yeah. I don't get it. Like that. I would never want to be that kind of mate for somebody either. Yeah. Right. Yes. But maybe there are women who who find that uh, pleasing. I don't know. I feel like, well, I feel like it's a moment where he's like cherishing her. And in a lot of these books, it's, yeah, it is sort of like an odd, mm, it's odd when like sex and love overlap suddenly for the the hero it's like and like it's just too much for them but and i think i could deal with it if lillian wasn't like brought to her niece at the end of this like did you notice that lillian was no longer feisty at the end like she was totally like tamed into submission and and i think she did it herself and that's even more dangerous because she's changing herself based on this perception that she has of who she has to be for him correct like she even like she realizes like hey maybe i shouldn't be so brass any brash anymore um but sort of she's not brash at all at the end like she's just, you know, one of the aristocracy. She's one of them. She's turned into him. Right. And and I do think though, in in later Wallflower books, we see Lillian come back as That's herself. Good. Ow. Oh my god. Oh, I just Sorry. saw that. <laughs> <laughs> that that shocked me. <laughs> I was wondering whose cat, if it was ours or hers. <laughs> Sorry. It so bad. Those gall claws. Oh, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, you know, you do see Lillian in in the forthcoming books behaving as Lillian again. Um, but you are right. She does undergo a transformation, um, and she does not reemerge as herself. Instead. She comes, she's, she's very fairly banal. She's, she's not who she started out as being, which, which then sort of, you know, um, makes me wonder, well, you know, what, what was it about her that he enjoyed in the first place? If she, if she can't, if she can't be that person, then what good is it in this particular? It looks like I'm unraveling Marcus for everybody here. (laughs) 
Well, I think the problem too <laughs> is that you don't get enough Marcus. Exactly. Was and and this is a, this is a problem with all of these books is that you never get enough about the hero so that when he does things like pull a full-grown woman onto his lap and start rubbing her tummy as if she's a 3-year-old, right? Like you 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 don't understand why that's occurring because you don't get enough of their inner dialogue. You don't get enough of their their emotive state. You don't know why they are the way that they are. And and Megan, you know this. This is why I've been devoting so much time to to trying to bring the emotive persona of my heroes, you mm-hmm. know, to the forefront in my own book, well, so I, that I'm, people understand <clears throat> what's going on. I'm looking yeah. forward to reading your heroes. Yes. Well, I think you'll love them because they're American. But beyond that, I have no clue. So. <laughs> well. <laughs> You're, well, that's like seventy five percent of the way there. All right, <laughs> good, good. But I, right. I, it bothers me that we don't get enough hero. We don't get enough of their, their, their oh. love story, right? Yeah. We just see them as, you know. Excuse me. This will be vulgar, but they're just hard cocks, and it drives me crazy because yeah. that's not just what they are. And, right. and part of what makes, I think, a romance so intriguing is that the man is just as fully invested emotionally as the woman. But you don't get a sense of that in a lot of these because it, it's, of course, it's, it's catering to the female audience and, and to the female mind. But. Yeah, it's and it's, you know, it's shown in two ways. It's shown in like, I can't keep my hands off of you so that I'm going to like you know, take chances that don't necessarily need to be taken sexually. And, and I'm going to treat you like a child and not let you make your own decisions. And I'm going to like take you into my lap. Right. Like that's the way we get to see it. And not just in this book, but in, yeah, in other books. Yeah. It's, it's in a lot. And I, I think again, it speaks to the audience, you know, they're obviously, you know, Jonathan accepted there's not a lot of men who are reading these. Right. And and yeah. so so, you know, let's concentrate more on on the woman. And then you get this, you know, they're all at about, you know, in between three fifty and four hundred pages, right? Because that's yeah. that's a good that's a good format, you know. So it it's all fits within a, a highly publishable formula. Yeah. All right. So what worked for everybody? I said the coaching part worked for me. <laughs> the male friendship worked for me. Oh, liked, the male friendship was nice. Yeah, I loved it when the guys got together. And, you know, I don't love it when guys get together probably in real life. But these guys, <laughs> I mean, I don't hate it either. But it just, um, you know, I liked I like that there was it was teasing without being graphic. I mean, apart from St. Vincent, because that's just his character. And that was fine, you know. And they weren't, like, letting St. Vincent, like, draw them down into his own, you know, muddy business. But, uh, like, they would tease, you know, Simon about how he can't keep his hands off his wife. But he was just like, yeah, you're right. What are you going to do about it? 
Like he didn't, he didn't give in and he didn't try to deny it. And I, I loved that. I thought I loved Simon Hunt more in this book than his own book. Yeah, he was good in this. They, and I, that was a very cute relationship between yeah. all of them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was that was my favorite part. That was well, what worked for me. Maybe uh, I have something else that worked. And mm-hmm. may, you guys can correct me, of course. Was Marcus, like, trapped between two worlds of kind of being a maverick? And, like, I don't really go with all this elite bullshit. And trying to still go with the elite bullshit. Yes, <laughs> I, I yes he was, and and that's something that I think we pointed out in the last book that we really enjoyed about his character is that he was able to bridge both worlds. He had one leg in both worlds, right? So on one mm-hmm. hand, he's this you know industrial capitalist industrialist. Sorry, and on on the other hand, he's he's this you know earl. Right. And with all these these responsibilities, not only to his estates, but to society as well. And um, I I thought they did a good job of, of she did a good job of creating a character that could manage both of those worlds adeptly. And that was very believable at at both of them. And in Mm -hmm. giving him the friend Simon Hunt, I thought was was really um, you know, it was really striking. So now I have to tell you this, these characters influenced me so much that in my own book, I, I do the same thing. I've got a, I've got a, um, a character that's very much like Westcliff. And then I have a Simon Hunt type mm-hmm. and, and, but I tell you, um, I also stole, I also stole St. Vincent <laughs> and I didn't, I, 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 barely i barely cover that and that'll be acknowledged but i barely cover that up because i just for me he was the best part of the book was the introduction to saint vincent i i think her writing is so so incredible when it comes to this character yes Um, it's just and then when he gets his own book it's it's like holy shit it's a whole new level of dialogue uh, which i've never read before she's She's a master with this. I'm really looking forward to devil in winter now. Um, Like I know St. Vincent there's, you know, in romance landia, there's like the, the uh, Derek Craven versus St. Vincent debate. It's like you either love one or the other, or you're an outlander who loves like, you know, one of the other ones, but most of people, like most of romance like boils down to like whether you love St. Vincent or whether you love Derek Craven from dreaming of you. And I, I feel like I'm thoroughly on the side of Derek Craven who is like Marcus, but like much like further expanded. Yes. Um, He's the, he's the Marcus, the other Marcus. Right. He's the 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 Marcus of the industrial world who's got one foot in the aristocracy and then one. Yeah. 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 Um, But I'm I'm really looking forward to St. Vincent because he is such a great character. Like he doesn't he's not like he's going to not going to be like book boyfriend status for me. But character wise, like he's brilliant. I you've got I don't know you've got to read his stories pretty no I knew I knew St. Vincent in real life (laughs) like every 
everything, everything about St. Vincent. I knew that person and that was like not attractive. <laughs> it's not attractive in a real person, my God. No. But on the page, it's amazing. Like on the page, he's a god. But like I think I, I know I'll appreciate it. Yes. I think yeah. you will. He's yeah. and you'll see his arc, right? Um, yeah. I'm looking just, forward to like you know, you can't create a character that starts out so low and like not give him a great redemption. Right. So I'm really looking forward to how that takes place. It's well, an int- you know. it's very interesting to be honest yeah. with you. And I didn't it was the last thing I would have expected. Yeah. But it's not weird. It's very natural though. Right. And I love that it's Evie. And, you know, I was thinking about Evie's character and how, you know, St. Vincent featured so prominently in this and Evie did not. Like, she was barely on the page. Right. And I was thinking, like, that's sort of foreshadowing. The fact that she wasn't on the page is foreshadowing in and of itself because she's she's so, like, incompetent at life. She doesn't even deserve time on the page in this novel. Right. And so I'm imagining she has a bit of her own arc. Yes, she does. As well. I'm hoping she does, because I really do like her. Um, you know, I might end up liking St. Vincent, because I love redemption stories. Yeah. I mean, it's a good one, and I think you'll like his redemption. I think it'll it's it's right up your alley. All right. So, um, I, we get, in the Ravenel series, um, St. Vincent's son. Yes. St. Vincent Jr. Oh. And I have to tell you, No. No, no, it just falls flat. But but we do see uh, we do see St. Vincent and Evie um, in that same series, too. But there's something so special about him. Um, I think she's she's I mean, all of her men are spectacular, but there's something about him that I believe just stands out. So he was the best part for me. Yeah. Uh, did we relate to anything in the book? It could be a character, a theme, situation, and what was it that connected you? I got to go back to the coaching part. That <laughs> part just—I mean, it's what I do every day. So, yep. that connected with me. I—I I feel like I connected, you know, somewhat with Lillian. Um, I mean, obviously, being American, I can see you as a Lillian. Yeah, I mean, I wish I was tall like Lillian, but uh, <laughs> you can't have everything, right? But I liked how she was athletic. I mm-hmm. liked how she was, um, you know, I, I, I obviously, I, I don't think I'm as loud and outspoken as Lillian, but, um, you know, she she had those qualities of uh, sort of intellectual outspokenness, which I really enjoyed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and the fact that she did have something to say about herself and her position and her place. And she wasn't just going to take whomever fell in her path. Like she was really going to do justice to find somebody um, deserving of her affection. And I liked that quality too. A lot of these women, as we saw in the last book with Annabelle, I'll take whatever as long as, as long as it's biologically a male and he's alive, I will marry him. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. 
and you know for Lillian she was she was holding out holding out for the hero right <laughs> she uh <laughs> she wanted what she wanted and she wasn't going to give in she wasn't going to um you know give up or settle you know there's have this problem with people just settling in life. And for me, Lillian didn't. And I felt very connected to that idea that she wasn't going to settle for just anything. I related to no one. <laughs> oh, no. Not even a situation? No. Okay. Well, that's easy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no. All right. So let's slide over to the uh, the fun part. The book boner level and the Scoville <laughs> level. So okay. book boner book boner levels one to ten. How much it how it much like how much sexy time is in the book? No, no, no. Yes. No, that is the that is the Scoville level, which we should do first. Okay, do this. So that's Bell Scoville. Pepper to Carolina Bell Reaper. To... Well, I tell you what, I really liked that scene between the two of them uh, when they were behind the hedge. That that very first coming together, right? Okay. Yeah. At the baseball uh, game. Yeah, I thought that was good. I don't know if I would want to be out in the sun in a butterfly garden. Yeah. You know, in some sort of hot hay grass. Ugh, none of that sounded good to me. But, you know, it wasn't bad either. <laughs> so, I'm going to have to say, uh, what's, what's in the middle? What pepper is in the middle? What's the Jalapeno. middle? Okay. Well, yeah, I'll say jalapeno. That that first yeah. scene was nice where, you know, she's like, you know, where she's basically like on his thigh yeah. and they're making out and and he's going crazy. Yeah. Like I like that. I I like a I like a guy who's into it. I like a guy who's who's not just like relaxed about it. I I want to, you know, I want the yeah. heat to be reciprocated. Yeah. So, Megan? jalapeno. Um, I think there wasn't like, yeah, jalapeno. I think uh, I don't know. I I remember this being like, I remember really liking the um, the juniper scene, the juniper kiss. But then this time, I think it's like his words. It, I don't know. There was something really off-putting about his words when he spoke. Like, just stop talking. <laughs> I think because they sounded like he was coaching a little girl. It, he says something like, give me your mouth. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I have it's to... just like, I mean, if I heard that, like, uh, odd. Oh, very, and he, and he very said gross. that every time they were together, like, I, I don't know. I just, I seemed very oafish and she describes him as an oaf, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. Some parts of that. Yeah. I can't imagine like being on the ground on my back in the, 
in the grass. That's just not very attractive to me. No, and I don't like butterflies. I don't want insects on me <laughs> I'm having sex. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. It's just, no, I'm, I was I'm thinking, not into why, that are the, why, are, why are the butterflies closed off from everything else? Like, that's just really, like, how are they going to pollinate the rest of the yard? <laughs> I was just thinking about the, the practicality of that the whole time. Like, why close off a butterfly garden? Like, you want those pollinators to, you know, pollinate the rest of the. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go bell pepper just because of the whole consent thing that I didn't. Yeah. Like. Okay. I do enjoy that you're more hung up on that than I am. Yeah. <laughs> you're making I appreciate me feel whorish, but that's okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't have done that. So. And I would be really pissed off at a friend who did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now book boner. I'm always confused with the two. So what is the book boner level? Well, I think we just like, I think we just stick with the Scoville level for this. I think because so because we like trying to separate out like the amount of sex versus like the, the heat level, like how it impacted us is just kind of dumb. Yeah. And Petra summarized it in her like her like her one. She did. So we'll keep it with that. All right. Oh, I have to say this though. I thought that the 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 sexual tension just surrounding Lord St. Vincent at any given moment was extremely, <laughs> extremely hot, but also it extremely was, well written. I I agree. It was palpable. Yes, yes, he's a, he's a he's a palpable, tasty man, and this... I don't feel any sexual vibe from him at all. What? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe I don't see. Look, your husband's feeling it. <laughs> no, I don't. I feel like he's. Uh... No, I feel like he'd be your like your best friend. Oh. I don't know about that guy being and your best I, friend. You know what? I swear it's because I knew St. Vincent. Like, okay, well. <clears throat> like, was he blonde? Kid that I was friends with, he was blonde. He was six foot five. He was, like, bougie. Like, so bougie. And, and that's why we got along. Because he was, like, homeless. And, like, bougie like we drove around together all over florida and like and he'd be like oh can you stop there i need to get this belt and he like bought this white studded leather belt it was like a hundred dollars he didn't have a car he didn't have a house like he didn't have anything to his name <laughs> but he needed the belt but he needed this like white leather belt and like and he was so like he was such a cad. Like he was like he slept with everybody and like his girlfriend was in jail and he was just like waiting for her. And he would say these things like, What do you expect me to be a monk? <laughs> like, yes. I mean, if your girlfriend in jail is important to you, that's exactly what I would expect. Like you can't act like this. 
there's a, there's a lot going on with this whole story that we're going yeah. to have to fetter out later. I know, but isn't it St. <laughs> Vincent? That is like the 21st century St. Vincent. Do you know who I see him as? And you guys are going to kill me. And I'm hoping, Megan, that you can fill in these blanks because you know how I always forget names. So um, I see him as, what's his name from Pretty in Pink? No, I, I don't never, know. i never seen that. Have, Megan, you've not seen it? No. Oh God, I don't even know who I'm talking to anymore. <laughs> I don't like John Hughes movies. What? I don't like only Home Alone. That's Uncle my, Buck. It's my least favorite John Hughes film. That's, what? <laughs> <laughs> Home Alone, Uncle Buck are the best too. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, it's worth a watch. It's worth okay. a watch. Well, we I mean, have to watch it for the podcast at some point. Yeah, we do. It's it's such I I don't know. There's so much amazing acting going on in it. Oh really? That, oh yeah. It's it's quite good. I mean, you've got all these greats. Annie Potts, John Cryer is phenomenal. Phenomenal really? in it. Oh my god, it's it's actually quite good. You know. Well, maybe it'll be like a Dirty Dancing. Like I swore up and down that I would hate Dirty Dancing and that I hated Dirty Dancing. And when we finally watched it, I really liked it. Oh, I love that. So, so maybe it'll be like that. But I like dancing, dirty. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> All right, I think that's a wrap on it happened one autumn. Megan, what did you, you wanted to do a lab? I, I don't think we have enough time to do it. So I think we're going to save it for the next episode. Okay. Because we have, what's, what's next? Uh, next winter? is, yeah, Devil in Winter. And it's and we're going to do that in summer? St. Vincent's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> technically today's the first day of summer. <clears throat> yes. So we're doing fall and winter and summer. Well, yeah, I really tried to, you know, we started the wrong time of the year because I tried to connect. <laughs> everything is in the wrong season. But like to be, just to be honest, the seasons don't really play a no, part in any of these. I mean, another good point. They they I really don't. It was it's just cold. a name. Yeah. In the devil in winter, you'll see that winter plays a part okay. in just one portion, oh. just one portion of the whole book. That and then. Matter. Right. I think the seasons, it, these are seasonless books. Okay. So it doesn't matter when we read them. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Well, hopefully I have it scheduled so that we can read the Wallflowers Christmas in December. Mm-hmm. So good. hopefully that has something to do with the holidays. It does. It okay. Does. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Okay. So, All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Petra. Thank you for having me. I, I hope that uh, that I was able to add some things besides my my overriding love for one character in particular. Absolutely, and I think that's sort of the takeaway for everyone from, the, from this book. St. <laughs> Vincent's the takeaway from from Westcliff's book. Excellent, as he should be. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I have everything, I think, that I talked about. We didn't talk about Side Saddle, but it's beyond the point. Yeah. And I think that would just be me, like, you know, 
waxing ecstatic over people can read horseback book. riding. Yes. If you want to know a very detailed description of what a side saddle looks like, read It Happened One Autumn. All okay, right. So thank you. Um, thank you, Petra. Yeah. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate and having you. I we'll appreciate talk. being here. <laughs> and we'll talk next time. Okay, wonderful. Happy right. reading. Bye-bye.